We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. NBA Most Valuable Player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton. Nice jumper. Got it! Giannis Antetokounmpo. Hey there. Welcome to the Eurostep, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast brought to you today or tonight by Untuck It. More about Untuck It later, but first, my terrific co-host Rohan Kadi and I are here to break down the Bucks' 137-129 win over the Portland Trailblazers, the very shorthanded Portland Trailblazers, and more, including the Cream City jerseys and Dante DiVincenzo. Maybe changing our minds a little bit, but first, Rohan, how's it going? What is your uh, immediate vibe check here after the latest Bucks win, making it six in a row, I believe? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well, Todd. Thank you for asking. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about this team right now, you know, considering that we still we're going to be talking about some issues that may be facing this team right now. I know you have a big rant prepared, um, but they're still winning games. So that's all that matters. So if they're still having problems with winning games, you can't help but feel good about the team. No, for sure. And there are issues. It's funny. I'm starting to feel spoiled, honestly. So Milwaukee has won. Uh, 10 of their last 11 games now. The Bucks are just like dominating. They've played a, a largely road schedule. I mean, tonight was the second game of a back-to-back. And it's a game the Bucks end up winning by 8. And I, I was just as we sat here as, as we're getting ready to record and get the call started, I started to think to myself how funny it is my reaction now right after this game as opposed to what it would have been like two years ago, like before the 60-win season. I feel like I would have just been happy. <laughs> like, oh, hey, they pulled it out. They got a win. They beat a team. Like, that was enough of a reason to be like, oh, awesome, cool, great stuff. I mean, still, you wouldn't have liked the lead to get blown or whatever, but just, like, getting the wins back then was so much more like, oh, this is this is invigorating. The Bucks got a win. They, they won by eight. It wasn't the most comfortable, but it didn't take, like, a buzzer beater. This is awesome. I feel like now with the expectations and everyone so focused on you know, the games several months from now, it's more like every game where everything doesn't go right is just like, it's so easy to just sit here and pick nits. I find myself doing it all the time. I wonder, Rohan, do we need to be a little more positive? That's a good question because uh, what you just said got me thinking, like the Bucks just put up 135 points and we're acting like it's nothing. <laughs> 137. It's 37, my my bad. Yeah, 137 points, which is their highest for the season so far. And we're just like, yeah, okay. Like, that's normal. We expect Giannis, that from this team. Giannis had 24, 19, and 15, plus three steals and a block. And it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like, yeah, normal. And it, we, and it, does, it doesn't even feel like he had a good game. 
Well, he did shoot like, nine for yeah. twenty-seven, but yeah. uh, part part of that is on, on Giannis and, and another five turnovers, which we haven't talked about turnovers a lot with Giannis, but he has had quite a bit of turnovers. He just tanked his three-point percentage for like a week, going one for seven from the three-point line. And you know, let's just—I just talked—I just said, are we too negative? Let's just get into the negative stuff right away. I think this game. I think there was defensive concern, or there was three-point concerns, I should say, on both ends. The Bucks end up uh, building their lead, I'd say, in the third and, and fourth and, and eventually getting away on some timely shot-making. Pretty good shooting night for the Bucks, 37% from deep, but Portland shoots 43.6%. This is, I love, I don't even have to do research anymore. I get stats from our Discord. A plunder. Let's us know that that's now seven opponents against the Bucks who have shot more than forty percent from deep. And I, I asked the Discord for mailbag questions. That's the Eurogroup Discord. If you want to join in on the fun, tweet at Rohan and I a screen cap of you listening to the Eurostep this episode, preferably. But uh, I, I asked for some questions in there, and one of them ties into this really well. So I'm just going to throw it in now instead of trying to do a segment. Uh, at what time do we start worrying about the Bucks' three-point defense? Rohan, what are your thoughts on how Milwaukee in this game and in general has defended the three? I feel like uh, like last year, even though it felt like the three-point line, like defense at the three-point line was a um, major point of emphasis for the team, it was they still looked like they were giving up a lot of shots, but that's because they were letting um, the teams, wor- their opposing team's worst three-point shooter get open looks because it's you know still not a great shot. But I feel like this season... I- it's still early for me to tell if it's really luck, like bad luck against the Bucks. Like teams are just shooting um, insane, insanely well against the Bucks from three, or if it's more of a schematic thing. So I have noticed that there are a lot of more lazy closeouts this year. Is that something that you've noticed as well? Absolutely. That was going to be my lead-in, honestly. And at some point, somebody, probably me, should pull up. I would venture a guess that lineups with one of Dante DiVincenzo or Sterling Brown, especially the lineup with both of them, which the Bucks broadcast love talking about how good the net ratings on those lineups are. I need to pay attention more for watching those groups with both of them. But those two guys are some of the most focused closeout guys on the team right now. A lot of a lot of the older Bucks who, who played a lot of minutes last year kind of just throw the hand up high and, and kind of lazily close out. And I think certainly just trying harder would, would help the Bucks bolster this three-point defense. I will say, not to cop out, I do think that's a real issue. The closeouts, and, and I think they have missed some rotations, especially really early in the season. It just felt like they weren't exactly meshing, and, and it didn't seem like everyone knew how to get where. I mean, the Rockets game was wild, the second half of the Miami game. It just felt like the defense was collapsing to the paint unnecessarily and not really in a way that was helpful just kind of guys drifting in and, and leaving uh, opposing shooters open for no reason. I will say teams have made some ridiculous threes against the Bucks, especially late in games. And I think that I think I, I don't have the expected three point percentage versus actual numbers in front of me or whatever. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks had gotten a little bit unlucky so far. But I do agree they need to be better. I wouldn't say I'm horribly concerned with it, but it's something that you hope as you know, the coaching staff and the players notice that it's a trend. I hope they make a more concerted effort to stomp that out. Yeah, for sure. Like you were saying, it's if there's one problem, it's probably effort from the veterans. But hopefully that improves as the regular season goes on. Like we, we're still really early into the season. So what are we, 15 games in? Almost like, what is it? 18, yeah, 15. 18-ish percent, 18.4 if I can do math. Um, I'll just I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my trust in you and and, and say that's accurate. I really have no idea. <laughs> okay, it's, it it sounds right, um, but yeah, it's still early. Let's see if it becomes a problem. If if it's still a problem later in the season, then then it might be a point of concern going forward. But as of right now, I'm not really too worried about it. Like for example, uh, C.J. McCollum was hitting some insanely contested threes today. Yeah, yeah he was against the Bucks. So, I mean, that plays into it, just like guys getting hot. But it'll, t- it'll take a larger sample size to really tell if it's a problem or not. I would agree with that. And now let's flip to the other side of the three-point quote-unquote problem, I'll say. I still feel like the Bucks are settling for far too many three-pointers, bad three-point shots. Uh, Wes Matthews, I think, leads the Bucks for me saying 
my God, why would you take that shot? And then it going in uh, four for seven <laughs> for deep from West today. He made more threes than any other buck did. Nobody else made more than two. Uh, Giannis, as I said, the worst defender going one for seven. That's not a sentence I'm used to saying, but Giannis, it seemed like got way too trigger happy from outside. And I think it was especially aggravating to me and probably some other people because the Portland Trailblazers were using either Anthony Tolliver or Carmelo freaking Anthony as a center for large stretches of this game. Skyla Bissier, their only real center who they refused to play in the starting lineup for some reason, plays 28 minutes. So there's 20 full minutes where the Blazers either have Mello or Anthony Tolliver at center. And the Bucks took so many jump shots in those minutes. I don't know if you saw the shot chart I tweeted near the I end did. of the game. Mm-hmm. He took two shots within the arc. Both in the paint, both makes. That's it. Two. If Carmelo Anthony is guarding Brooke Lopez, I would post up Brooke Lopez repeatedly until the Blazers prove that they can stop that. Because guess what? Carmelo Anthony is not going to guard Brooke Lopez in the post. Not credibly. It's not going to work. I mean, there are legit centers who really couldn't guard Brooke Lopez in the post. Carmelo Anthony is not that. He's 35. He's never been a, a great <laughs> defender. He's never been a good defender. Like, he did not sign up for this Portland thing to guard Brooke Lopez in the post. Like, I just don't – it just frustrates me when the Bucks have these obvious things they could do, and I felt like we didn't see enough Giannis pick and roll in this game either. But this this part just killed me. Like, if you're, if you're going to let teams put a 6'8 guy who is not a post defense – and maybe Carmelo is a fine post defender, sure, like James Harden is because it's easy and it doesn't take a lot of effort. I don't think he could credibly guard Brooke Lopez, and I just think – if you're not even going to try to go to that and see if it's easy points, I just think you're wasting Brook Lopez on offense. Like I think he has more he could be doing. If you're just going to use him to space the floor, then you could have paid Anthony Morrow, the vet man, to do the exact same thing and make more threes. Like Use him for all of the things he can do, not just to – he stood in the corner so often in this game. It drove me crazy, Ron, as you can probably tell from mm-hmm. how animated I'm getting talking about it right now. Yeah, like Brook Lopez. The weird thing is, like Brook Lopez's first two shots were those shots inside in the uh, in the yeah. Paint. The first first bucket of the game, first play of the game is Giannis feeds him a dunk and he just yams it home because no one on their team had any sort of verticality. Yeah, and then his second shot, I believe, was a post up on I think Anthony Tolliver, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. So, yeah. So he just they went to that early and they're just like, you know what? Let's, let's not do that again. Like, eh, we don't have to. Uh, sometimes was, you're gonna uh, you're gonna have to eventually. <laughs> well, it's just like I just don't know why this team seems to just hate taking advantage of mismatches. Like the like what the the Cavaliers game where the Cavs hung pretty close throughout, and this was still tenuous Bucks time. Darius Garland and Colin Sexton are both on the floor. Whoever Colin Sexton is guarding, have them set a screen for Giannis because. I just or, or have Giannis screen for their men, whichever, because they the Cavs just can't switch that. And I don't know how much people know about the Cleveland Cavaliers defense in, in recent years. It's bad. It's better this year. It was awful last year, but it's bad. Like they're not going to be able to switch that fluidly enough most of the time to stop a really good look from emerging. Instead, you just get all of these take one dribble in and shoot threes. You know, take one dribble back and shoot. Um, at least some of them I saw were like. Someone at least like curling around a screen and firing, that's a little better. But just the lack of penetration into the post for long stretches, I think, is the only reason Portland was able to make this as close as it was. And it just feels frustrating to have the Bucks make some of these same mistakes. And I think more frustrating because it felt to me, and I'd love your take on this, the Atlanta game the night before felt a lot cleaner to me in a few of these areas. I felt like I saw more pick and rolls. I felt like I didn't see as many bad junker threes. And, of course, the Bucks Twitter cries seemed answered when DJ Wilson played over Ursan Ilyasova. That trend reversed tonight. What are your thoughts on sort of some of these trends I've been ranting about and how they almost flip-flopped over the last two games? Well, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but I'll explain it. But I think Zaza Pachulia's jersey needs to be tri- retired. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> because he seems to have had a big influence on this team by saying that there's you shouldn't do anything easy. Nothing easy. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. 
Wow, you went to the uh, Justin. Uh, the, the, oh, I'm gonna have to. I can't believe I got his name wrong. Shout out, reverse shout out to me, but yeah, cl- clearly you've attended classes at the Jordan Tresky School of Long Punchlines. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I had to do it, but yeah, I, I agree. It's just like they, they refuse to take advantage of easy opportunities. But like what you were saying with the Atlanta game, um, it seemed like the offense was more flowing and. I think it was because of DJ Wilson. I know this is going to... Actually, no, it's not going to anger anyone. Actually, it's going to make people like happy to see DJ playing because most peop- most Bucks fans, at least that I see, want to see DJ play, and for good reason, because he seems to be... Um, he can do more things than Ursan, but Ursan can do him more consistently, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So it's like the offense can move a little faster, and like it can be a little more athletic, obviously with DJ instead of Urson. Um and I don't know, it just seemed a little more free flowing. There were more um, hard picks, better better defender with DJ compared to Urson. So I think I think the flow of the game dictated like it was it was because of DJ. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not gonna give DJ that much cred. Well, yeah, um, you can't you can't give it like the entire thing, but I'm saying like. When DJ was on the floor, it seemed like the like the team was playing more fluid, and that again, that's probably like a correlation, not causation, sort of thing, uh, because you know the rest of the team has to be playing a certain way. It's not like DJ Wilson by himself is going to be, you know, commanding the team offensively and defensively, but it's it's definitely a factor, right? I think so. I think in general, there's like the three young guys who barely play. Well, I shouldn't say barely play. There's the three, but the, 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 the three young guys, in my opinion, who are sort of kind of variables in, in what they are, what they're going to be. And it's Dante, Sterling, and DJ. And I feel like the minutes, like the more of those guys on the floor at once, or the more total minutes, percentage of total minutes with those guys, is like they, they just give you all these moments that really kind of fire up the team, it feels like. Obviously, Giannis does this too. I mean, Eric Bledsoe will do this from time to time, but... Those three, because they, they don't play a ton and because they still have a lot to prove, it just feels like they play with an extra edge, and, and sometimes it's bad. I mean, Sterling Brown, uh, two turnovers. I remember one specifically tonight. It was like this weird – he gets a, a defender off his feet and drives in and tries to do this like weird wraparound pass to the corner, and it just gets picked off, and it was just a bad decision. Yeah, it's kind it's, of a, it seemed a, like in that possession he was trying to – he was trying too hard to make the extra pass for three. He had an open, right. he had an open mid-range shot there, and I thought he should have taken that. That I did note that possession in my head, like you did. Yeah, it, it was just it was a it was a young player mistake, and it happens. But like they, I just feel like they bring this extra bit of zip to the Bucks offense that sometimes where you get these where Wes Matthews and, and Urson and Robin Lopez are out there and there's kind of passing it back and forth and, and chucking threes and what have you. Robin 0 for 2 again tonight from three-point range. Not a good year for the Robin Lopez three-point experiment so far. I just feel like those three are, are likely, especially the, the two guards. We haven't we just haven't seen much of DJ, period. But the two guards are so likely to do more driving, to, you know, to kind of probe the defense more, open things up, gamble, and, and sometimes knock the ball away on the other end. I just think that helps and it adds a lot, and I think the Bucks are better for having them in the lineup more. And not not saying you know start all three or anything, but I feel like minutes without any of them can get a bit stagnant easier because it feels like those guys do a little bit more of the probing outside of Giannis and Bledsoe, who are obviously both good at that. Yeah, like compared to the veterans, those three they have something to prove when they're on the court, and they're going to do their best to prove it. So if you have one of those like hungry guys on the court at all times. You're gonna get like, you're not gonna lack energy in any point. No, you're not. And just one last thing. Speaking of DJ Wilson, I mean, crucial of course to note that DJ, in addition to being a good ball player, is quite the snappy dresser. You know, you won't see an untucked button down on DJ Wilson. Those look bad. He wouldn't wear that. Not a traditional button down, at least. Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. But maybe DJ Wilson would enjoy a button down from Untuck It if he didn't want to tuck it in. It's right there in the name. This is the original button down shirt that's actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape or minutes per game, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift 
for your favorite guy or forward who needs an upgrade. Shirt shopping is hard enough as is, with every store seemingly using a different set of sizes, and don't even get me started about how hard it is to shop for others. It's tough. Luckily, Untuck It makes it way easier thanks to their more than 50 plus fit combinations. Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. I love how their clothes fit. The material, the design, the different colors available are all fantastic. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, I could definitely see Rohan rocking one of these, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And Untuck It's website is easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So, whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Just visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE, B-L-U-E, for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, promo code BLUE, for 20% off. Rohan, now that we've discussed how we can get our fit on, what should we talk about next about the Milwaukee Bucks? Um, you know what I've been wanting to tweet, but I haven't? Oh, I'm excited to hear this. Uh, so if you're somehow not familiar with one of my uh, main tropes on Twitter, it's to find random win streaks that the Bucks have gone on and then tweet Le- the clip of LeVar Ball saying undefeated and never lost. Somebody did it to us, which was yes. terrific. Yeah, that was Matthew, right? Yes, it was. He's undefeated that. in Eurostep merch. He is. Uh, nice plug there, but oh yeah, yeah, got to do it. No, but that was that was an awesome tweet to receive from Matthew there. That was fun. Uh, it was amazing. But what I have been avoiding tweeting because it'll send the wrong message is that the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh no, are undefeated <laughs> since Chris Middleton got hurt. Technically, also. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, no, that's it. That's a, a true thing. In games where he, he didn't play, including the game he left because of the injury, they haven't lost since then. So, Rohan, explain to the to the listeners before Chris Middleton, anti-Chris Middleton Hive takes this soundbite, uh, why are you not tweeting it? So, one, because I respect Chris Middleton and his game too much to send that kind of message and two i think that we were last last time we recorded we were rightly a little skeptical about dante starting is that correct and say yeah well maybe if we weren't maybe we weren't right about it but we were skeptical yeah uh but he has been proving to be playing very very well in his role he's been um he's been hitting shots as of recently he's been playing uh he's he just has a nose for the ball he uh, gets steals, he gets deflections, he plays good on-ball defense. He just, he gets rebounds. Um, he just, he's been doing everything well. It's almost been like a seamless fit into the starting lineup. So I, I don't know. I did not expect this sort of production from Dante DiVincenzo, especially considering how rough his rookie year was. And then just being able to come in to a uh, starting lineup of an elite team and start to contribute right away. I'm I'm blown away. I'm very shocked that Dante has been able to put up the kind of numbers that he's been doing. Yes, I I I don't know if I want to say I'm shocked, but certainly he's playing better than I anticipated for sure. I know he was pretty quiet in the first post Middleton game against the Bulls, but in the four games after that, I've got the numbers here. I'm pretty sure these are all correct numbers. Yeah, they have to be because there's only been one home game since the injury, right? Because they were out on the road when it happened, I believe. Is that correct? I think. Or no. No, 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 no. That's no, wrong. No, no, no. There was That's the wrong. Bulls game. Yeah. So these these are not the right splits yet. So um, the averages are actually higher than this after today's game. But Dante, over the four games going into the Trailblazers game, post-Chris, uh, 11 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.5 turnovers, 2.0 steals, plus 6.8, shooting 53.1% from the field, 38.9% from three. And then I had earlier the game log. I mean, they've all been solid games too. Uh, Like I said, the 4.1 early, 
That was the Bulls game where Milwaukee won. Dante played 24 minutes, which is tied for the lowest. It only takes five shots, so he's two for five. Just happens to miss two threes. But also, one steal, two assists, five rebounds. He's gotten at least four rebounds in every game. Since that Bulls game, he's gotten at least 11 points, so he's been scoring in double figures. He has not shot below 40% from the field in any of these games. These have all been starts, I believe. In fact, he's made at Mm -hmm. least two threes in all of them except the first game. And he's been a positive plus minus in all the games except the Atlanta game where he was a minus one. I'm not exactly sure why. I don't remember him having a bad game off top. But I will agree, Dante is starting to win me over. He still takes, I would say, a little bit too many of those impulsive shots that I've kind of been dinging him for. But in a credit to him, one, this is his second year, and it almost might as well be his first year based on how little he got to play because of those injury issues. And two, the whole damn team is doing it. So it's kind of unfair for me to just hold it against Dante DiVincenzo when Giannis is out here shooting one for seven from three-point range uh, against a team with basically one center. So I've revised my criticisms of him. I think he's also cleaned up the shot selection a little bit. I know somebody out there, I don't remember if it was Twitter or in the Discord, theorized that you know maybe the gravity of playing with the starters has kind of caused him to revise his shot selection which could certainly well be true I think I think it's easier to take a lot of shots when like you're looking around and you know no not not to discredit any of the guys but if it's George Hill Kyle Korver Robin Lopez and Ursan Ilyasova I feel like you feel better about taking some questionable shots than if you look around and see Giannis and Eric Bledsoe you know I just think you're more likely to go you know what maybe I should get Giannis the ball after all if he's out there so Dante has been very impressive, and I think the other thing we noted right right away, right when we found out the news about Chris Middleton missing an extended period of time, was this was a cupcake part of the schedule. Mm-hmm. And I think the two games we called out as being two of the hardest were at Indiana and home against the Jazz. That Jazz game saw on the horizon, but the Indiana game, Pacers without Oladipo, which we knew, also without Malcolm Brogdon, and they'd managed to put up less than 90 points. So I think... Truly, the schedule might be almost as big of a benefit as uh, as Dante stepping up, but Dante stepping up is the one that could matter a lot more down the road. Yeah, and this is just a random thing that I've really been enjoying about Dante's game is that when he gets the ball on a fast break, he immediately passes it to Giannis. He which, loves passing the ball to yeah, Giannis, except for just, that one I pointed out on Twitter that people got mad about. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> but he, he just always, he like, when even if Giannis is behind him, not really sprinting towards the play, he just he's like, yeah, take the ball. Like, you, you do you, man. Like, uh, that's not been a thing that all Bucks players have done in the past and present. No. Yeah. So seeing that from Dante is very refreshing. Um, it's yeah, I would agree. And and just one other thing on his fast breaks, I love how often he goes with a layup instead of trying to dunk. I don't. Here's okay. Here's the thing. Can Dante like he he put up like what the highest vertical jump in combine history or something insane like that? Or it wouldn't highest? surprise me. He's got wild bunnies. So why can't he dunk? I he for sure can dunk. But he his dunks always seem like he barely dunks though. Maybe he's just like a business decision kind of guy. Like, listen, the layup's higher percentage. I know, but... We saw... What did we see? Two missed dunks in this game? Yeah, yeah, we saw Dante miss a dunk. We saw Giannis miss a dunk. Was it Dante or Pat? I think it was Dante. Oh, it was Dante. He tried to go up with two hands. Uh, Maybe maybe that's why. Maybe he's like, you know what? Never again. (laughs) Which leads credence to my theory that he can't really dunk that well. But you know what? Maybe not. Yeah. But... Yeah, besides the point, <laughs> uh, yeah, but Dante, Dante's been playing really well. And another guy who's been stepping up really well in Chris Middleton's absence is Eric Bledsoe. Yes. Without, without watching this, like, I mean, uh, uh, let, me, <laughs> let me rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> when watching this game against the Portland Trailblazers, you would not have really expected Eric Bledsoe to have 30 points in this game and be the leading scorer. Like, I was floored when I saw that. But he's just been super consistent. He's been averaging over 20 points a game since Chris Middleton's been out. He's been shooting not great from three. He's only at around like 30-ish percent. But he seems to he seems to have taken a step up in Middleton's absence and sort of taken more responsibilities as a primary ball handler and sort of running the offense even uh, because he used to he was the third banana after Chris. Yeah, it's interesting to see how he's kind of stepping up at least trying to step up it's certainly been an up and down run the averages are great and 
three of the five games have been terrific. 31 points against Chicago, 28 against Atlanta, and 30 against Portland. But then you got an eight-point stinker, that Bulls game, and then a 10-point game against Indiana. Um, Bledsoe's shooting, certainly up and down. Uh, 2-0-for-2 performances to start off the the post-Middleton run, although one of them, he was 12-for-14 from the field. Those were his only misses with those two threes. Uh, which kind of says quietly says a lot about a lot of Eric Bledsoe games, but uh, I, I'm not always opposed to him shooting. But then one for four against Chicago, 50% on six attempts at the Atlanta game, and then two for six tonight. So not not bailing his own numbers out by shooting the three at any means. A good amount of rebounds, at least five assists per game, at least one steal in almost all the games, and three of them he was really good at not turning the ball over. Uh, five in that Chicago game, and then six the Atlanta game last night, where a lot of people have said because I've been I've been criticizing his late game because I just I've seen tweets like Bruce City Paul shout out to him good good guy on Twitter mutual follow for a lot of years but you know it was the bled show in the fourth quarter except for those two crucial turnovers when he tried to split double teams when he really didn't have to and to maybe be, there should have been fouls yeah, maybe to be not fair, he did get fouled. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Just pass the ball. Don't yeah. don't leave it up to the officiating. Um, uh, but anyway, um, in but he, fairness yeah. to Bledsoe, picks yeah. up maybe two more turnovers there, but still an up-and-down run. Also fought, fouled out of that game, which was kind of weird. But uh, certainly I think we've seen at least as much good Bledsoe as bad, and I'm glad that he's not you know going into some sort of protracted, you know, whatever you want to call it when he kind of gets into his head and, just sort of disappears. I'm glad he's at least trying in these games. Yeah. And one thing I've been noticing is that his game has sort of been evolving a bit as the season goes on. As the Bucks have been starting to run more pick and rolls into their normal offense, I feel like uh, Bledsoe, he started out being able to just drive, make the right pass. Now he's sort of, he's almost like Chris Paul sneaking pick and rolls now, which is insane. Uh, Former teammates. Yeah, former teammates. But you, you, we've just never seen that sort of dynamism from Bledsoe in pick-and-roll sets before. And if he can add that sort of wrinkle to his game and to the entire Bucks offense, that kind of changes the perception around him because it seems like he's more... He's, like, obviously, he's more of a get-to-the-rim type of guy. He always has been and most likely always will be. But if he can sort of um, work more in the mid-range game, like we've been hoping that more of the Bucks can do this season, that would be insanely effective for the Bucks. Uh, what, what was I trying to look up right now? Yeah, he had like three mid-range shots today, and like floaters that sort of that sort of felt like they were good shots and sort of kept the offense afloat when they were sort of maybe starting to hit a wall. So I don't know if he keeps up that going forward. I feel like that could be another wrinkle to add to the game. He's such a feast or famine player. I feel like mm-hmm. there's times when he will kill a good run for the team. But then there's other times when nothing is happening and he'll just be the guy who gets to the rim and, and makes a bucket go down. I almost think he should take more of his shots from mid-range or closer. Maybe maybe he's at a decent amount now. He usually doesn't chuck a ton of threes if he's not on. But he's just so good at getting to the rim, even if sometimes he will have a little trouble finishing through some contact. Um, certainly, though, I think Bledsoe, in, in a majority of the game, stepping up, putting up around 30, is a huge sign. I think Bledsoe getting to the line is a huge sign. Um, at least five attempted free throws in four of these games without Middleton. He's nine for 11 against Atlanta, made all six of his attempts in this Portland game, and shot seven for eight against Chicago. I, I really think a lot of point guards in the league have a lot of trouble containing a, a driving Eric Bledsoe. I wouldn't hate to see him do more of that. You know, if especially... If we're talking about this Brook or this Giannis pick and roll, which I know we both would love to see more of, even if the teams can kind of get around it, you know, they don't they don't switch, they don't let whoever the roller is, you know, get an easy path to the rim, have Bledsoe charge an off-balance guy. That guy's going to have a lot of trouble containing him. And luckily, Bledsoe, not being Giannis, does not get one of the worst offensive driving whistles ever. And I know Giannis gets a good amount of fouls, but so often Giannis picks up those offensive fouls on pretty minimal ex- excessive or not excessive excessively reacted to contact i mean at one point anthony tolliver just preemptively fell over in this game and Giannis blew a dunk but then got the ball back and got free throws but uh bledsoe doesn't usually you know draw offensive fouls like that he's strong but he's not overly big he's not overly physical 
I wouldn't mind seeing more of that from him. You know, attack these guards if they're a step off balance because his strength and his ability to accelerate and then more importantly decelerate means that a lot of teams have problems guarding him with their small guards. Yeah, for sure. If he can if he can just utilize his strengths to the best that he can, it's it'll really help this team going forward and they I don't want to say they really need it, but it'll they need it to go where they want to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Bledsoe putting up thirty a night in the playoffs. If he's that kind of Bledsoe, I mean, this whole this team, this this team's trajectory changes, and that seems impossible considering I think they should have a good shot of winning the East regardless. But I mean, that says a lot about what the Bucks could end up and and what they could end up hoisting if Bledsoe can become this player on a regular basis in the postseason. We have one more question from the Discord. I'm not sure if it's going to come up come up naturally, so let's just ask it from Crocsi. Honestly, just curious on what the Bucks could be doing better defensively. We kind of covered the three-point defense, sloppy rotations, which I think have cleaned up a bit, uh, lazy closeouts, which have not always cleaned up a bit. Do you have any other suggestions, ideas, thoughts on how the Bucks could clean up their D? Um, if anything, I feel like it's, it's tough to ask, but when uh, they, like Bucks opponents do guard big, pick and rolls, uh, and the the Bucks guard defender has to go over the screen. They mm-hmm. it's it sometimes feels kind of late, and that's an effort thing. But it's also a really difficult thing to do. And there's only a yeah. couple guys that can do it really effectively. With Eric Bledsoe being like probably the best in the league, so it's kind of it's a high standard. But I don't know. Sometimes they just feel a bit late when they when they don't necessarily have to be. But I feel like that's a little nitpicky. It is that one's tough. I mean, I've noticed some of the same things on, on screens. I was pointing it a lot out, or a lot, pointing it out a lot earlier in the season. It is a lot to ask, but I do think the Bucks need to be a little bit better about that. Um, the one thing I would say that I've noticed a lot is uh, two two things. Just both regarding how the centers have played. I think the Bucks need to sometimes adjust a little quicker when it, it seems like they're not ready for someone to be able to shoot, and that person can shoot. Tonight, if you're watching, pretty obvious I'm talking about Scala Bissier, who was draining shots from all over and often ended up with Robin Lopez on him. And sometimes Brooke as well. And it just seemed like neither of them was all that interested in guarding him closely. And he certainly made the Bucks pay. I mean, in this game, Labissier plays 28 minutes, 10 for 16 from the field, 2 for th- 4 from deep, 22 points and 12 boards. Still somehow a minus 11, which is crazy. Also had five blocks. This is maybe the best statistical game to just have an awful plus minus. I mean, he he is the worst on the team in plus minus with that line. No turnovers, three fouls. Kyle Kuzma I guess is salivating right now. Kyle Kuzma's <laughs> like, I told you guys. I was right. Cuffs is a genius. Um, but... uh. But the Bucks just don't react quickly enough to to starting to guard Lebissier. I think that that was something that I've seen before too, where some of these big men that I don't think the team was really worried about coming in will start stroking it. Like you got to get out there and cover those guys, and not just make it that easy for them. Because I don't think Scott Lebissier is going to nail a bunch of contested threes, even if you just make life tricky for him. I don't think he's going to be that dangerous if he's putting the ball on the ground and trying to advance from the top of the key to the rim either. I just think there needs to be a little more effort, a little more awareness there. And the other thing is they really need to figure out how they want to play defense with the small lineups because so often I see it's Giannis and Ursan out there, and the game plan seems to be to almost have Ursan be the de facto five, and it's been terrible. They need to figure out. I mean, personally, I think if you're going to use those lineups, you either need to just not do the typical drop scheme and just kind of man up on everyone and see if you can play that way for short runs while you go with those lineups or have Giannis be the center because the way they do it when they try to have Ursan do center stuff defensively if he doesn't draw the charge it's just bad and not even Ursan can always draw the charge so I think there needs to be some wrinkles ironed out with those lineups because too often I see Giannis and Ursan at the 4-5 and they just do not have good looking results on defense no, for sure. I think you're completely right there. It's just, it's just like tiny things that can be cleaned up in general. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I think generally, I don't think uh, I don't think anything comes through as like this is something they can't do and it's gonna it's gonna haunt them. I think most of the things they can do, they just need to work on being able to do them consistently, and you know, 
and we talk about it a lot, variability. You need to be able to do different things. So hopefully we see some more pick and rolls and some more Brook post game when there, there's he's got a good matchup like he had automatically tonight uh, going forward. Because I just think we need to see more adaptation, less of this stale, you know, either Giannis driving it for guys, which we haven't seen as much of that lately, I don't think, but more, uh, you know, screens, pick and rolls, cuts, movements. There's one thing I want to talk about regarding the offense, and I don't know how many topics you have left. I know we want, we need to talk about these new Cream City jerseys at some point, but first, just something I noticed from this game, and I've been paying attention to a, more recently, when Giannis is posted up with the ball, you know, kind of uh, free throw line-ish around that distance from the rim, it seems like the Bucks can pretty easily get somebody cutting either to the rim or to three, they get those shots easily because at least two to three defenders are so paranoid with what Giannis is going to do from that spot that I almost wonder if Milwaukee should look into more sets that just they, they get Giannis the ball there, have him kind of stand posted up a little bit but not actively barreling his guy and let him surveil from there, kind of like what Denver does with Nikola Jokic. Let him run the offense from that spot Instead of the top of the key, because I feel like from there, it's very easy for him to hit at pretty much any of the offensive spots. You know, the corners, the the wing threes, somebody cutting. He's very good at all of those passes. You don't have to pass it cross court. And he's also closer to the rim. So if something does break down, he's like one second from a dunk. Yeah, for sure. There was this one play in particular early. I, th- I can't remember when it was, where Giannis was um, posted up, like you were saying, at the left side of the free throw line. And he just threw a left-handed over, like crossbody hook pass to Pat Connaughton in the right corner for a three. And that yeah. just, that floored me. That was an insane pass. And like you were saying, they could get something like that every time, like because they. I think he had three defenders on him at the time, and no one's going to be able to close out on the shooter that quickly. And they'll just get an open three every time. And they could do some variability, like you were saying. You can have someone cut to the rim, like Pat. Pat could have. Uh, cut baseline for a dunk like he like he seems like he was uh really set on doing tonight but yeah it was just you can you can do a lot from that spot and if they have more sets where they sort of let Giannis play like uh like point setter like Jokic they can get a lot of good stuff easily and that ties into what we've been talking about all season about variability just just getting different looks because you never know what defenses are going to throw at you you don't. And I think especially that could be useful when, you know, there's like two methods teams use to guard Giannis. Like it's either a smaller guy who is going to get in his way and, and fall over or a much bigger guy. Like maybe when the Bucks play the Suns, if they play him again while DeAndre Ayton is not suspended, maybe then it's not the greatest because Ayton's just so big. You don't gain as much from posting Giannis on him. But, you know, if teams are going to throw Anthony Tolliver or Giannis, you know, a guy like that, and some teams have to throw someone like that at him almost out of necessity, then, like, just situate him in the post because even if everything breaks down, and, and the play I was thinking of that made me want to talk about this tonight was not that three, although it was beautiful. He uh, Giannis also hit a driving Dante DiVincenzo who laid it in from that same exa- about spot. He had one guy right on him and then another blazer kind of creeping up, I think getting ready to double, but they didn't get there in time. They weren't able to contain Giannis, and he just finds literally a, a basically a free two points. But the teams that don't have uh, a big guy, I just think you can really make it easy for Giannis to find his teammates. And again, if it breaks down, if nothing is there, then you got Giannis posting up a small guy, which is not a bad last-ditch option to have. Yeah, there's you can just do so much from that spot. Yeah, now that now that you brought it up, it's it's insane that they don't use it more often. Now that we're talking about it, because I I did pick up on it during the game, but I hadn't really thought about it a lot. But now that I am, it's sort of like it seems kind of obvious that they should use it more often. But let's see if they do going forward. Let's let's give the let's give the team the benefit of the doubt. It would be nice, um, and I and I get the. Yeah, the desire to make Giannis more of a perimeter player. I mean, it's great. I'm not saying take that away from him, but these this could be a nice way to, you know, to differentiate the offense and, and get Giannis closer to the basket, which should always be a goal. Um, Rohan, do you have anything else, uh, or should we just get to these jerseys? Um, 
Well, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say how Pat Connaughton loves to show up against um, Boston and Portland, and today they didn't oh, yeah. play Portland. So, yeah. yeah, he had 18 points. He had a couple of nice dunks. He had a put-back dunk again, Ooh. which I don't I don't think he was as good as a Charlotte one last year, but it was still insane. Uh, but, yeah, shout-out to Pat Connaughton, really playing well. He, he shows up for games every once in a while recently, and today was one of those games. Pat's just been good. Like, yeah. I, I'm very impressed with Pat Connaughton in this season. But I think if Dante wasn't playing as well as as well as he has been, Pat might be my next my next choice to start. And this is no shade to Sterling Brown, who I still like a lot as well. I just I think it's a good thing those those two players, Pat and, and Dante, have very much impressed me this year. So good for them. But yeah, good good call calling out uh, Pat C for another good game, especially. You know, against Portland, if if the Celtics were the Eastern Conference Finals and Portland was the Finals, I'd feel really good about the Bucks' chances as long as they played Pat enough minutes yeah. and Chris Middleton in the Celtics series. Yes, but let's let's get to these jerseys. I don't love them. Uh, I don't. I don't. I, like, I don't mind the color cream. I've for a long time now been more against the Cream City moniker. I just I don't like it. I don't either, and this is. I wonder. So I've I tweeted, you know, a tweet about how nobody calls it that, and I've gotten a few people who have come and said, "What do you mean?" Like people have been calling this forever. I wonder if it's an age thing. Yeah, it's got to like, be a generational thing. Yeah, because I don't think I none of I can tell you none of my friends in Milwaukee. I born and raised in Milwaukee until I was eighteen, and I moved up to Oshkosh. None of my friends and I were like love to love to be from the Cream City. You know, I never City even represent. heard. Of the Cream City, like that being a nickname, until like they unveiled the new jerseys. Yes, I think I'd vaguely heard it. Cause I don't I've think done I'd like some Milwaukee historical stuff. Like it's the bricks. I get it. I don't hate the idea. I just don't like it almost at all. Um, it's a weird thing. I mean, there's been so many sex jokes and Giannis Bell jokes on the timeline ever since, and they're all pretty funny, admittedly. <laughs> um, I don't, the like the font, like using them, like kind of basically like a, an homage to the Milwaukee Tool font. I like that concept itself, it Milwaukee Tool, but it doesn't fit with cream. And it doesn't fit with the numbers either. No, no, it doesn't. And I just think, and, and my... And I don't like I don't like the idea of complaining without any sort of a solution. I guess that's the the mansplainer in me. So my idea for a better jersey, and it's I, I obviously I want the purple deer head. Everybody wants the purple deer head. They're sick. But my my solution for a city edition jersey, let's do four one four jerseys. Yes, perfect. Because that's that's the to millennials at least. I'm glad we, you you yeah. were so excited about it. That's like. I mean, there's like people call it Milltown, the Mill, whatever. I think four one four. Well, you could is do like maybe you could do like an MKE as well. MKE would be sick as well, yes. But then of course you run into well, the team's actual actual uh, abbreviation is Mill, not MKE, which is kind of awkward. But I agree. I think MKE would be great. I would. I can tell you, I'm not usually a jersey copper. I have two Bucks jerseys, Malcolm Brogdon and Johnny O'Brien. Uh, an esteemed collection, of course. The Johnny O'Brien ones, it, I, it's iconic. It really is iconic. The 77 and the all-black Fear the Deer 77. I get a lot of questions when I wear it out, which is not that often. But uh, I would cop a 414 jersey, no question. I just think, uh, at least for me uh, and, and you know the people I grew up with or whatever, that was like one of the best identifiers of the city was the area code there. It's pretty yeah. much covers the whole city proper. I just, I don't know. I think it would be awesome. That's think, my suggestion. Uh, I think it would, I, I agree with you. It would be awesome. I just, I don't think it's a possibility considering then people would get confused with the Jersey numbers. This is amazing. So literally now I just got a text on my iPhone from a, a basketball friend. Uh, and I, this is, this is what it says verbatim. What the hell is cream city on the new buck Jersey? <laughs> Uh, reveal. What does that mean? I am not a local, so this has me scratching my head. So, not a local, to be fair, but still, it's not like a recognizable thing. I feel like a lot of the City Edition jerseys, you get them easier. I don't know. I'm just not here for this moniker. I don't hate the color. I don't even hate how the jersey looks. I just don't love the fact that it says Cream City, the fact that it's so much cream, and... And just the name itself. I'm I like, just not uh, a huge yeah. fan. I do like the blue accents. I feel like they need to embrace the blue, more oh, blue. That blue is so good. They do need to embrace more blue because, I don't know, 
you're right on the lake. You need to, you just need to embrace the color. If they did like a blue jersey, I know there were some concepts floating around. I don't remember exactly who it was, but you know there were there were a couple concepts floating around, like an all blue with like a cream typeface jersey, which looked Ooh. incredible. Yeah, so if they did something good. like that to sort of embrace like how we're on Lake Michigan and you know then you you can still throw in some cream say cream city like you don't have to write cream city but you can just say like oh it's from this how they do like their weird jersey explanations that no one really cares about yeah uh, oh yeah for sure yeah. it's so so bizarre when i realized <laughs> the teams did that i was like what is this like the the green is for the verdant forest i was like really is that how they make these decisions i thought it was just what looks cool huh. yeah but yeah if you do something like that yeah you'd get me on board you'd get me to buy my first jersey i don't actually own a jersey oh wow yeah so if you if you made like a blue and cream jersey, I think I'd get that. If you're listening, Hon- Milwaukee Bucks, do it for Rohan. Honestly, I would like. You know what? I wouldn't hate some sort of a almost like Brewers homage jersey. Do a Brewtown Ooh, jersey, especially with the new Brewers jerseys. Yeah, like no, yeah, it doesn't even have to look like that, but just like the brewing aspect. I think oh, like the that'd teams be cool. seem to have a good relationship, like mm-hmm. a Brewtown jersey. I don't know if you can do Brewers. I don't know how like the legality of the copyright and stuff works, but like more of an homage to like the brewery industry. Where yeah. Cream City, I mean, there's kind of like a, a very vague tie. I don't know if any of the breweries use the bricks. I mean, if you don't know, it's Cream City. Cream bricks were used like based out of Lake Michigan sand or silt or whatever, and it's a, lot, a lot of the historic buildings use them. It wasn't a very good building material, which is, I mean, hopefully in five years, I don't have to write some feature about how bad cream city bricks were used in Milwaukee's roster construction. And there was accidentally a very apt, uh, city edition Jersey. I hope I don't have to make that tie again later, but, uh, yeah. So there's a tie. I mean, it's not the worst thing ever. They're not awful. I don't think, I think that they look clean enough. I, I, I'm, I need to see them played in, but I just think there's so many ideas they could have done a lot better. And I hope that next year they go away from the cream city and embrace some of these other concepts. Yeah. It just, or maybe if you're doing like Brewers, maybe do some sort of Packers tie in too. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. If you do like a green and gold jersey, like you can still say like the green is like part of the Bucks color scheme, which do they even have a color scheme anymore? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the, the forest green and the blue and the, the cream is like number three somehow. They've got like five colors. They do have quite a bit of colors, yeah. Yeah, but if you just do something, like, I don't know. I like overall. I don't know. Not my favorite jersey. Let's see how they look on the court. But I'm probably not going to like them. I like the cream jerseys from last year better, and I didn't even like those. So I don't know. But again, I'm not jersey jersey aficionado, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not either. But um, I guess that's alright. We're, we're more negative about the jerseys and the teams. Uh, we have to have something to complain about when the teams this. We good. do. We always have to complain. That's a good point, <laughs> Rohan and. I think it's time for you to take us away here. Yeah, so thank you for listening to the latest edition of the Eurostep Podcast. Please rate and review. It means a lot to us on whatever platform you're um, listening to us on. Uh, Tweet uh, Ty and I a picture of you listening to the podcast to get into the Discord channel where we talk a lot of bucks and general NBA. And thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on the next edition of the Eurostep Podcast.